guarantee that the new film is coming. When you go to cinema, you finally see that trailer for that film you've been waiting for for years and years. It guarantees that film is coming. They don't release the trailer until they've pretty much finished the job. You see it, you know it's going to come. You know soon the film release is coming. You'll be able to see the whole film. Trailers guarantee something's coming, but trailers also give you a flavour of what it's like. Because when you see those film trailers, they always put in the best bits, don't they? All those cliffhanger moments, the most dramatic gasp moments. So you think, I've got to go and see this. Well, Easter, on Easter, we're remembering, we're celebrating the fact that Jesus, though he was killed, was raised again from the dead. And that actually is a trailer for something that God is going to do in the future. The Bible tells us that just as Jesus was raised from the dead, one day at the end of history, at the end of this age, as the Bible calls it, God will raise to life, in resurrection life, all of his people to spend all of eternity with him in perfect new bodies, in a perfect, perfect new world. And Jesus' resurrection is the guarantee of that, and Jesus' resurrection gives us a flavour of that. It's the trailer of what is coming. And we read about this in the Bible in a letter called 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians is written by a guy called Paul, one of the men commissioned by Jesus to get the church started. And he's writing to a church in Corinth, which is an ancient Greek city. And the guys he's writing to, they did believe that Jesus had been raised from the dead. But they didn't believe and they didn't understand that that meant that at the end of time, they too, as God's people, would be raised from the dead and would get to spend eternity with him. And maybe that's where you're at. I mean, all across the room today, there'll be different ones of us. We'll be at different places with the story of Easter. Maybe you kind of, you do believe that Jesus rose from the dead, but you don't really see why it's important. You don't really see why it makes any impact on your life now or in the future. Maybe here actually don't even believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. You just think, well, it's a nice story, and back then they weren't quite as clever as us, and they didn't really know, and they just kind of fooled. They're all a bit gullible. They fooled for this story. Well, I think wherever we're at today with Easter story, Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 can help us. Because while he goes through trying to explain to the Corinthians that the fact that Jesus rose from the dead guarantees that they will also be raised from the dead, he also gives us a few evidences, a few proofs for the resurrection. For the fact that in time and space, as a historical fact, Jesus died, but then Jesus was raised back to life, never to die again. So we're going to look at what he says in this chapter, and we're going to find two evidences for the fact that the resurrection really took place. And then we're going to answer the question, so what? Paul's going to tell us, why does that really matter? Let's see how Paul starts, reading here 1 Corinthians 15, starting at verse 3. He says to them, I passed on to you what was most important and what had also been passed on to me. Christ died for our sins, just as the scriptures said. He was buried And he was raised from the dead on the third day, just as the scriptures said. He starts, actually, with the Easter story in miniature. This is the Easter story distilled down in miniature. It's the story of the fact that God, uh, that Christ, God's son, who himself is fully God, is uncreated, eternal, has existed with God for all of eternity, came down, took on flesh like you and I, lived a life on earth. Then died, Paul says, for our sins. That means he died as a substitute. So whereas we deserve to be punished by death, Jesus takes the death we deserve in our place. He becomes our substitute, our scapegoat. But then he was buried in a tomb, and on the third day he was raised again to life. Jesus' friends went to the tomb expecting to be able to anoint his body, but he wasn't there. He'd been raised again to life. Jesus is alive. Jesus is resurrected. 
And then Paul continues. He gives us the first bit of evidence. He says, Jesus was seen by Peter, and then by the 12, that's the 12 disciples. After that, he was seen by more than 500 of his followers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have died. Then he was seen by James and later by all the apostles. Last of all, as though I had been born at the wrong time, I also saw him. The first bit of evidence Paul gives us, which shows that Jesus really did rise from the dead, was the fact that there were eyewitnesses. There were hundreds and hundreds of eyewitnesses. Lots of people saw Jesus after they'd seen him executed on the cross. They saw him alive again. And perhaps the most important group, actually, in what Paul says there, is those 500 witnesses. He says at one point, 500 people, which probably is about what's here, maybe a little bit more than what's here today, 500 people saw Jesus all at the same time when he'd been raised back to new life. The reason that one's so important is that scientists have shown there's no such thing as a group hallucination, okay? So it's not possible that all of us here today could believe and imagine we're seeing something that's not actually here. There's no such thing as imagining a picture, hallucination, all at the same time. It's an individual thing. They must have been seeing something. The real Jesus, the risen Jesus, brought back to life, was there in front of them. It's really important because they couldn't have been imagining it together. It's also really important because Paul says most of those guys are still alive. He's basically saying, you can go and check this out. It's what we call falsifiable. If it was not true, you could prove that it's not true. He's saying most of them are still alive. If you don't believe this, just go and ask them. Go and talk to them. Now, if Paul was in on the story and he knew that actually this had all been made up by the apostles, by the people who followed Jesus, he wouldn't say that. Because he'd know that as soon as they went to ask one of those people, they'd say, no, Jesus wasn't there. Paul's saying, they saw him, and you can go and ask him. And he's writing here only about 20 years, just over 20 years, after um, Jesus had been killed and had been raised from the dead. That's not very long, really. There are plenty of eyewitnesses still around. About 20 years ago, 20 years this year, actually, is when Princess Diana died. Now, if we made up some extra part of the story, which we claimed happened on that day, there'd still be plenty of people who were eyewitnesses or who were on the scene immediately afterwards, people involved in the media coverage afterwards, who'd very quickly be able to tell us whether or not that was true. Within 20 years, there's plenty of eyewitnesses to say, yes, that happened, or no, it didn't. And Paul's saying, look, I know this is true, and there are hundreds of people you can go and ask as well. Jesus, we know, rose from the dead because of the eyewitnesses that saw him. That's the first bit of evidence that Paul gives us. And then he carries on. The next bit of evidence starts in verse 12. But tell me this, he says to the Corinthians, since we preach that Christ rose from the dead, why are some of you saying there will be no resurrection of the dead? For if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, then all our preaching is useless and your faith is useless. And we apostles will all be lying about God. For we said that God raised Christ from the grave, but that can't be true if there is no resurrection of the dead. And if there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ has not been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is useless and you are still guilty of your sins. The Corinthians were saying that people wouldn't be raised at the end of time. They, as God's people, wouldn't get resurrection life when Jesus returns. Paul says, if that's true, it's really bad news. He says, if it's true that there's no resurrection at the end of the time, then Jesus can't have been raised from the dead. If there's no resurrection, Jesus can't have been raised. He says, if Jesus hasn't been raised, there's no forgiveness of sins. That means if Jesus hasn't been raised from the dead, there's no hope beyond this life. There's no hope for any one of us. 
Jesus' resurrection is kind of the final stage in his victory over sin, human rebellion against God, and over death, the judgment upon sin. And actually what Paul says here, what he's interacting with, gives us this second bit of evidence why we know the resurrection truly took place. And that's the simple fact that no one expected it. You notice that. He's saying here, these guys don't believe the resurrection's coming. That's because these guys in Corinth, they're influenced by Greek thinking. And if you were a Greek or you were influenced by Greek thinking, you believe in two parts of the world. There's the spiritual and there's the physical. And the spiritual is really good and kind of uh, special and you like it and you celebrate it, but the physical is really bad. The physical is the evil side of things. It's the, the dirty side, the horrible, useless side of things. And so if you were a Greek thinker, the way you think of death is either that it was the complete end, that's just kind of it, nothing happens, or death more often was seen as the separation of the spiritual and the physical. So your spiritual soul leaves your physical body, and it was talked about as if fleeing prison. Your good spiritual soul got to flee the prison of your physical body. Now, resurrection is the reversal of death. It's the spiritual and the physical being reunited. And to the Greeks, that was absurd. They said, why on earth would you want your lovely spiritual self to be united to your horrible, evil, physical body? That's why they didn't expect or didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't want the resurrection, really, in a sense. That's not how Greek thinking worked. The reason that's important is no Greek thinker in the ancient world would have made up the story of Jesus rising from the dead because it didn't fit with what the Greeks liked, what the Greeks wanted. And it means that no one who wanted to convince Greeks of the truth, and Greek was the main thought world of the known world at the time, no one would have made up the story of Jesus' resurrection, because all the Greek thinkers were going, well, that's stupid, that's foolishness, that's horrible. Why would we want that? But then also, actually, no Jew of Jesus' day would have made up the story. The Jews were the people who were descended from God's Old Testament people, had the Old Testament, had the promises from God. And they did believe in the resurrection. They expected that at the end of time, all of God's people would be raised to new life to live with him. But no Jew expected that one individual person in the middle of history, not at the end, right in the middle, would be raised back to life. No one expected that. And actually, even though they were waiting for the Messiah to come, waiting for the promised anointed one to come and rescue them, no one actually expected the Messiah to come and to die, but then to be raised again after three days. It didn't kind of fit with the story that they were telling to each other, the story they were expecting. Again, that means that no Jew at the time of Jesus would have made up the story of Jesus being raised from the dead. Because actually it was hard to convince the Jews to believe it because no one was expecting it to happen. The best explanation, the most historically plausible reason that this story emerged that Jesus has raised from the dead is that it actually happened. No Greek thinking person in the ancient world would have wanted to make it up. No Jew in the ancient world would have made it up. The best explanation is that after three days, Jesus really did rise from the dead again. So Paul gives us two evidences, two things to show us that really, really happened in time and space in history. But it still leaves us with the so what question. Maybe you're thinking, okay, yeah, no, I see that. I see Jesus was raised from the dead. That makes sense. But you might be thinking, well, so what? Does it really make any difference at all to my life? Well, that's where Paul now shows us how the resurrection of Jesus is the trailer for what God is going to do in the future. He's been explaining that God's people really will be raised in the last day. He's convinced the Corinthians of that. And now he shows us how that links to Jesus' resurrection. So in verse 20, he picks up on this. 
But in fact, he says, Christ has been raised from the dead. He is the first of the great harvest of all who've died. So you see, just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. But there is an order to this resurrection. Christ was raised as the first of the harvest. Then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. He says that Christ has been raised as the first of a great harvest, or sometimes that's translated as the first fruits. The first fruits is a term from farming. When you're farming, you plant all your crops, and the first fruits is the very first bit of the harvest that you're taking from your crops. And it does two important things. The first thing it does is it guarantees you that the whole harvest is just around the corner. Once the first few bits of fruit coming through, you know that at any day now, the whole crop is going to come into fruit and you'll be able to harvest it. It guarantees the arrival of the harvest. The second thing it does is that it gives you a flavor of what that harvest is going to be like. If the first fruits are really good, you know this crop is going to be really good. If the first fruits are pretty rubbish, you know actually the crop's going to be pretty rubbish. And that's like a trailer. The trailer guarantees for us that the film is coming and it gives us a flavor of what the film is going to be like. Jesus' is the Jesus resurrection is the trailer which guarantees our resurrection, which gives us a flavor of it. But why is it the case that Jesus' resurrection guarantees our future resurrection? Well, Paul explains that to us too. He says that just as death came into the world through a man, now the resurrection from the dead has begun through another man. Just as everyone dies because we all belong to Adam, everyone who belongs to Christ will be given new life. The problem of death, the great universal problem really for all humans, entered the world through one individual, through one man, through Adam, the first man who was placed in this perfect garden by God, but who didn't trust that God's plan for him was the best thing. And actually instead, although Adam knew what God had said, although Adam knew that that is what God says will bring flourishing to me, actually he listened to someone else. He listened to the serpent. He didn't trust God. He trusted the serpent. He said, he basically turned his heart away from God. He rebelled against him. And as a result of rebelling and rejecting God, God had to judge him, and that's how he earned death. And Paul tells us here that actually all of us as human beings, we start belonging to Adam. It's like we're part of his uh, kind of group, his family, his family line, if you like. And actually all of us inherit the death that Adam deserves. And then all of us go through our lives and we likewise turn our hearts away from God. We don't trust what he said is the best way to live. And actually we go other ways. We rebel against him and each one of us earns our own sentence of death and of separation from God. But then Paul says, but resurrection life comes. The reversal of death. Remember, resurrection is the putting back together of the soul and the body, the total undoing of death. It entered the world through Jesus. The one who lived, who died, who was risen again, conquering sin and death. The one raised back to life. And that means that all who belong to Christ, by turning away from that rebellion, by choosing to live for him, are now guaranteed resurrection life. Why? Because they're in him, they're in his group, they're now uh, in his family line. One man messed it all up, but one man came to sort it all out. Adam brought death, but Jesus brings life. And of course, the Corinthians at this point might think, and actually you might be thinking, well, that's great, but Christians still die. So something's going wrong here. But Paul knows that. Paul understands that. Paul explains that to us. 
He says there's no answer because there's an order to how this works. He says Christ was raised as the first of the harvest, and then all who belong to Christ will be raised when he comes back. We've seen the trailer, but we're still waiting for the film release. We're still waiting for that day when Jesus returns and raises all of his people. Because, you know, 40 days after Jesus had risen back from the dead, he ascended up into the clouds, he went, and is now alive and seated at the right hand of God the Father, seated in God's heavenly throne room. But the Bible tells us that just as he ascended, he went up to be with God. One day, he will come down again to be with us. One day he will come and he will recreate the world so it is perfect again. And all of his people, all those people who don't belong to Adam, but who belong to Christ, will be raised to enjoy new life with him. There's a day coming when the trailer will give way to the film release. When the picture, really, will give way to the glorious reality it was winning and it was pointed forward to. But of course, there's one other thing. You know, just seeing a trailer isn't enough. If you see a trailer for a film you're really excited about, that doesn't actually guarantee you're going to see the film. When you see the trailer, it's meant to motivate you and move you to go and get a ticket. It's the same with the resurrection of Christ. Just knowing that Jesus was raised from the dead, believing it, understanding that it's a trailer, isn't actually enough. We need, in a sense, to get a ticket. We need to respond to the trailer we're seeing. Paul says we all die because we belong to Adam. But if we belong to Christ, we get new life. We need to move from being in Adam to being in Christ. But that's not a transfer we can buy. It's not something we can earn. It's not something we can deserve by trying to be a bit better or, I don't know, money or coming to church, whatever it might be. It's something that only God can do. But it's something that God, in his great love, in his great compassion, in his great mercy, is offering to every single one of us. God's hand is extended, offering this ticket to every single person on earth, inviting us to move from belonging to Adam to belonging to Christ, that we might be raised on that last day to spend eternity with him. How do we do that? The Bible says there's two parts to what happens. The first thing is that we have to repent. That means that we recognize the things we've been doing are wrong. We recognize that we've trusted things other than God. We've rebelled against him. And to repent is to say, I'm going away from God, but I recognize that's wrong and I deserve death because of that. So I'm going to stop. I'm going to turn 180 degrees and I'm going to walk towards God. And then the second thing we do, repent, and then we believe in the good news. That's what you're doing when you're walking towards God. We believe that Jesus is the Son of God, the one who lived, the one who died as a substitute for our sins and the one who was raised back to life. And the one who promises to forgive anyone who comes and trusts in him. And to raise them to life on the last day to enjoy eternity with him. And actually, this is where the analogy breaks down. Because really, that's not like a ticket. If you see the trailer and then you get your ticket, that ticket makes no impact on your life until the film has been released. It's just in your pocket, in your wallet, wherever it is. You're just waiting until the day the film comes out. Actually, if you take up your ticket today, if you move from being in Adam to being in Christ... Your whole life is transformed. You're acknowledging that Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus now is seated on the great throne with God the Father, ruling over all. You're saying, Jesus is king, and I will follow him with all of my life, with everything I do. It's completely free. You don't give Jesus anything to get any of this. And yet it might cost you an awful lot. When you turn away from your old life, there'll be all sorts of things we have to leave behind. And that can be really costly as you receive this free gift but it's totally and wonderfully, wonderfully worth it. 
You might be here today and you might have become aware, even as we've looked at what Paul says together, that actually you're in Adam. You belong to Adam. You don't belong to Christ. You might even become aware today, actually, what you're heading for is death and separation from God's not glorious new resurrection life with him. Well, friend, there is wonderful, wonderful good news for you today. That God has got his hand outstretched with this ticket, ready to invite you into new life with him, to give you that certain guarantee that one day you will be raised to spend eternity in a perfect new creation with you, with him. If that's you today, don't miss the opportunity to find out more. Please come find me, come find someone at the front here. Maybe talk to a friend if you came with a friend this morning. We'd love to tell you more about this Jesus, more about this good news, more about what it means to repent and to believe. And if you'd like, we can pray with you. You can leave here today knowing that you've not just seen the trailer, but that you've got your ticket and you're enjoying it already and you're going to enjoy it when Jesus comes back, when you spend eternity with him. I'd like the band to come back up. We're just going to uh, celebrate a little bit more this wonderful truth this morning. And uh, while they're getting ready, I'm going to pray for us. Father, we thank you so much that when we rebelled against you, you were not happy to abandon us in that mess. Thank you that you willingly sent your son to come to earth to live, to die for our sins, but then that you gloriously raised him back to life on the third day. Thank you that sin and death have been conquered. And thank you that now we have this wonderful trailer. We have the guarantee that all your people will be raised in new life. We have that foretaste of what it might look like to have resurrection bodies and enjoy life with you. We thank you so much that you have done that. And God, we pray, Lord, with any of us, us here, Lord, who are currently in Adam, I pray, Lord, you will help us to recognize our needs and to move to be in Christ, to take up that ticket today. And for those of us, God, who've already done that, who've got that ticket, God, we say thank you so much. Our words can never express our gratitude, our wonder, our amazement that you would freely do that for us. Our excitement at the trailer that we've seen, our excitement that one day we'll be raised to new life. We will spend eternity in perfect new bodies, perfect new creation, every tear having been wiped away, every sickness and sadness and sorrow and difficulty and tribulation and trial and pain will have ended. And we will be with you for all of eternity. God, you are truly wonderful. We thank you for all that you've done. We worship you and we praise you. Amen.
Yeah, Jesus, from our heart, we say what a beautiful name your name is. From the depths of who we are, God, we say thank you. We say thank you that you sent your one and only son. The only name under heaven by which we can be saved, Jesus Christ. I thank you for the work you have done. We thank you for the work that you have done in our lives. I pray that as this day continues, may we hold that close. May we remember that we are now never the same again because of the work of that cross and the resurrection of Jesus. So we thank you. We say we love you. We think you're great. Amen. Amen. If you'd like to talk to anyone about the message that Andrew brought this morning about coming to know who Jesus is and the work, his work in your life, becoming a Christian, and please come up and talk to us. We'd love to speak to you. That's the end of our meeting this morning. Thank you very much for joining us. We have an Easter egg hunt for the children. So if you are interested in being part of the Easter egg hunt, then please make your way over to the little gazebo over there just by the fire exit, which is to your right-hand side of the auditorium. We've got some food going on in coffee box as well. Please make your way through. Hang around, have a chat, grab a coffee, and enjoy the rest of your Easter Sunday.